It's Royal Rumble season here on Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenmuth, and thank you all so very much for pressing play and listening to this Royal Rumble theme episode, which is the Mount Rushmore of Royal Rumble undercard matches. Now, l- let me let me explain here real quickly, okay? Normally, we'll highlight the Royal Rumble match itself, and I'm sure that we'll do that at some point um, as we head closer to the Royal Rumble, but Royal Rumble undercard matches, matches that are the, the, the foundation of Royal Rumble pay-per-views in, in the last decade, even more so, um, that we're going to be discussing here on Kicking Out at Two. And joining me to do that, joining me to give his Mount Rushmore of Royal Rumble undercard matches is the one and only architect of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, which where you can find this show, Kicking Out at Two, by searching Retromania with a W on all podcast platforms available. My man, Kobe Nida. What's up, buddy? Hey, what's going on, Dave? Thank you uh, for inviting me on to this episode of the Mount Rushmore. This this is interesting. I like this. Yeah, you know, it uh, it was fun to roll through like the old cards of the Royal Rumbles and look back and be like, oh, that was a match. Oh, wow, that was an angle. Oh, that was a thing leading up to uh, WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you think about it here, um, the the you know, if you go back to earlier Royal Rumbles. Obviously, the event is centered around the Royal Rumble match itself. When you go from like 88, 89, 90, the, the first three Royal Rumbles, the, the, the event was hyped around, obviously, the big 30-man Royal Rumble match. Um, you saw some stuff on the undercard, but nothing really stood out too much, with the exception of maybe the first Royal Rumble event where you had like the Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant contract signing for the Saturday night's main event uh, championship match in, in 88. Um the Ultimate Warrior Rick Rude pose down in 89, um, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, the undercard really wasn't featured as much because you had, they, they were top heavy in the 30 man Royal Rumble match. It wasn't until 1991 um, where, you know, going back and, and remembering and watching some of this stuff where they really put an emphasis on the undercard as well to try and round out the pay-per-view itself. You had the, the first time ever the WWF Championship was on the line. Sergeant Slaughter challenging the Ultimate Warrior. That was a pretty hot angle. Uh, you had... Um, uh, you know, uh, Million Dollar Man and Virgil taking on Dusty and Dustin Rhodes in a big match. Uh, Bobby Heenan was looking to take uh, the Big Boss Man out, and he had the Barbarian face him, and that was the ongoing rivalry between the Big Boss Man and the Heenan family. So they were really, really, you know, in the beginning of '91, and then it would just evolve over time. Um, help make the Royal Rumble paper pay per view stronger by really building the the show with a strong undercard itself. And we've seen some classics over the years. Uh, give me some of your memories of um, of the undercard and you know how it's evolved over time in the Royal Rumble pay per view. Well like you said, I think at the beginning they just focused on the Royal Rumble because that match itself was so different uh, in a presentation of wrestling. Um, it was it was like a battle royal, but these guys got introduced, you know, every intervals of 90 or 60 seconds, um, depending on how kayfabe you want to be. Um, <laughs> Titan time, I, they call it. Right. And I think, like, you know, just like the Survivor Series, and now with the evolution of wrestling, we want to see more feuds build and stories being told throughout and not just, uh, you know, the Royal Rumble itself is not the the focus or the forefront. You know, it is, it is, but uh, but there's other things that are always going to go on in the storytelling and the undercard because, like you said, uh, a lot of that the undercard. I mean, look at the first Royal Rumble. The main event was a tag team match, correct? Yeah, the the the, the last match on the show was the Young Stallions taking on the Islanders. Um, <clears throat> And you know, Jim, Power, you, Jim Powers, right? Jim Powers and Paul Roma, yeah, correct. He main evented, man. They yeah. main evented. Don't he, ever say Paul Roma is not a main event. I know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. He was a horseman and he main evented the show. But granted, if you remember, and, I, and some people might not remember this, the very first Royal Rumble was a television special. It was not a pay-per-view. Right. right. So... Um, you know, I, I guess you could say he main event the TV, but nonetheless, um, yeah, like you said, the, you know, the, that tag match was the main event. The Royal Rumble match itself was in the middle of the card, and it was only 20 guys in that Royal Rumble match, if you also yep. remember. Yep, yep. And then I think going on, like, 
when I went back through the undercards and all the cards of WrestleMania priors, uh, I realized it didn't really start hitting for what I enjoyed until like 93. Okay. Uh, and then there, it kind of consecutively, there was always one match that kind of stood out to me. And that kind of built for, uh, for me, I think it, it's, it's more geared towards the, the title match. Yep. Um, that's strong in the undercard for the Royal Rumble. And much like it should be because the Royal Rumble sh- should be the showcase of the Royal Rumble. But what, what does the Royal Rumble winner get? A shot at the title. And this is like, you know, what can happen with the title? Um, and sometimes it's predictive. Like, you know, it's predictable. Like, uh, we, we, we can tell what's going to happen. But sometimes a swerve happens, you know? Yeah. Um, and then we, we alter directions or routes that you, you thought were going to go on a road to WrestleMania. Yeah. And uh, to me, like, this is a great topic because these are, these are great matches that uh, kind of get slept on, you know? Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, so before we get into our picks, I have a couple of honorable mentions that, that almost made my Mount Rushmore. I just want to just briefly touch upon them. You can give me your comments. And, and, and um, now, but, um, real quick, before yeah. we get into the Mount Rushmore, what do you consider a Mount Rushmore? How many is involved with a Mount Rushmore? Four. You got four? Yeah. Okay. I'm doing four, yeah. Just like, okay. just like your typical Mount Rushmore subject, it's four. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I got a couple honorable mentions that almost made the cut. Um, first one being from 1999, The Rock and Mankind in the I Quit match for the WWF Championship when The Rock blasted Mankind in the head with the chair 13 times. Um, this almost made my list uh, because um, just the sheer brutality of the match and the violence factor um, in and of itself. And it was it, it was a match I remember. I didn't order the pay-per-view live that night. I ended up getting the replay on two, on that Tuesday. And I remember reading on the internet and the dirt sheets, you know, the, the, the violence factor. And I, I don't remember who wrote, you know, wrote the particular article I read. But, you know, something to the effect of... Um, Go out of your way to order this just for this match alone because it was just it, it was unbelievably violent, um, and that you didn't expect the, the type of violence you would see in the match. So that makes it that makes an honorable mention for me. And another match that gets an honorable mention for me personally um, would have to be Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit from 2003 for the WWE Championship. Um, a, a technical wrestling masterpiece, regardless of what you think about Chris Benoit, because of what he did, um, you know, at the, at the tail end of his life, you know, that's a whole other subject in and of itself. But the body of his work, man, with with, with Kurt Angle at that time, it was just top notch stuff, unbelievable. So those are my two honorable mentions that almost made the list, but you know, just didn't quite, uh, you know, crack the 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 top the top four, the Mount Rushmore, if you will. But it, without further ado, why don't you get us started? Why don't you give us your first match that makes the Mount Rush your Mount Rushmore of Royal Rumble undercard matches? All right. Well, I mean, you, you kind of just hit the nail on the head with uh, with you know one of them. Um, I'm going to go with the Rock and Mankind hitting it on the head. Okay. Uh, with the chair, All Man, right. that that I Quit match is memorable. Um, that's something. It, it, it's not a, your standard match because, of course, it's an I Quit match. So there's a lot of brawling. Uh, you get a different feel for the Rock at this this state of his career. He gets a little bit more aggressive, um, and he turns into a, a bigger heel. You, you you love to hate this guy at the at the time, you know. Yeah. And uh, and same with Mankind, you you gain the sympathy for the character. And it, by all means, I, I love Mick Foley's work, but I've I think I've gone on record saying this before. At the time, I was not a fan of uh, Mankind or uh, anything that he did mankind related uh, I was more of a cactus jack guy um, same here same here and the dude love I absolutely hated um, but I think that was for a reason you know looking back at it now I'm like okay well I get it and he, he worked well as those three characters because um, they were all you know different points of the board um, but definitely that match the rock and mankind that stood out it, it goes pretty long too and um and of course, we all see that from uh, under the mat, you know. Oh, uh, the, that, the movie, yeah, beyond the yeah. mat, beyond the mat, yeah, beyond the mat. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Um, under the mat, beyond under, the, under mat, the mat, on top of the mat, doesn't matter. Under the mat is where Horn, is Hornswoggle's movie. <laughs> um, <That's a> good <laughs> <one>. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, the match 
itself was just different, and uh, I think it, it it just stands out. Um, you know, I, I can't say anything else about it. Just that blood too. Um, yeah. There's something about when a guy is busted open the hard way, and uh, you, you really feel the the sympathy for ma- mankind at the time. And I, I thought he was really laying those chair shots in because he was. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing I want to mention about that match that, you know, I mean, you, you, you made some great points overall, but I think the big key thing for me that I take away from that match was if you go back and you remember during that time period, this was early in the Rock's heel run as the corporate champion mm-hmm. with the corporation of Vince McMahon. And, you know, you clearly saw that they were on a path to getting to Rock and Austin for WrestleMania, okay? So you the had Rock to. Rock had just became the first. Uh african-american wwf champion like a couple months earlier yeah correct that's survivor series okay yes and so him and mankind you know had this rivalry from survivor series mankind won the title earlier in the month of the the january 4th edition of monday night raw where they went to -to head-to-head with nitro the whole finger poke of doom i actually made actually have a, a trading places episode covering that in the archives but um you know for a for a while if you if you go back and you remember, you know, the like I said, the Rock was the corporate champion. He was the the face of the cor- of Vince McMahon's corporation stable, and it was even as a heel and aligned with Vince McMahon, the fans still couldn't find it in their heart to fully hate the Rock. You know, they would they would kind of go along with some of his catchphrases, even though he'd tell them to shut their mouths and know their role and all the other stuff. But it was a it was a, a hard task for the to to get the fans to hate him and i think this match here accomplished it on yes. television and in the arena because yep. you know he laid into mankind with those chair shots and you know it was just even as a even as a teenager i was like oh god damn like it was don't get me wrong i enjoyed it and i was entertained by the violence but at the same time i was like all right, man, like, that's enough. Like, you know, like, we got your point, you know? Like, when's this shit going to end? And, I mean, even Michael Cole on commentary, which is another thing, too. You know, people sleep on Michael Cole because he came after JR, who's the greatest of all time, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and granted, if Jim Ross was in this role at that time, because I think he was going through his belt, his second bout of Bell's palsy, um, he would have made the, the, the moment even more magical. But Michael Cole, I think, this was probably, like, the first... Me- true classic match that he called where his commentary and the things that he was contributing in the match from a verbal standpoint really enhanced the moment of the rocks brutality and so the audience in the arena booed the shit out of the rock i mean it got to the point where shane mcmahon came out and was like all right man we get it you did you you proved your point let's just call it You, you won the match and you know rock was like no i'm gonna make him quit i'm gonna make him say i quit like he's you know and the finish where they used the recording, it was just such a... Like, I quit! Yeah. I quit! It was yeah. just such a shit heel move that I was just like... I was like, oh, man. Like, like you knew that it was a recording, you know? Like, you just yep. you could just tell, like, the way the audio had, you know, presented itself. But, um, yeah, I just, I just thought overall... Um, that and it was better with the presentation of the microphone too, because yes. it wasn't Roddy the Piper saying, "What do you say? Yeah. What do you say?" What do you <laughs> WrestleMania say? Eleven, yeah, yeah, I know, right? Oh my God. Yeah, and that's another thing too that, like, I think some. And the fa- Rock was the master of. I'm sorry, the the Rock was a master of the microphone. So him having the rock, the microphone in his hand played into that shitty heel, you know, that he was trying to accomplish yes. in this match. Absolutely, and you know, I think too. I think some older wrestling fans that you know remember that WrestleMania 11 match kind of had their doubts about this match because of the way that that I Quit match was presented, and mm-hmm. you know, Rock and Mankind blew it out of the water and kind of like set. I guess you could say set the tone for what I Quit matches were to be in the you know evolving in wrestling over time. So I I, I think you know this match um, definitely covered a number of different. Um, storytelling arcs that they wanted to get to and i think they did a great job of really making the rock despisable as much as i was a big fan of the rock even i was a, as a as a kid as a teenager was a little disgusted with the way that he 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 did what he did but they they got the message across and i i it's a good pick to to be the first one on your mount rushmore like i said this almost made it for me it certainly did. It almost made it for me. I was back and forth about this one. But um, it's definitely a, a good pick, and you know, you made some great points regarding this match. Nice. Um, 
let me get into my first pick that makes the Mount Rushmore. And I kind of alluded to it earlier regarding 1991, how well-rounded the Royal Rumble pay-per-view was from an undercard standpoint. And my first pick that makes the Mount Rushmore is the opening match from that Royal Rumble pay-per-view, which was the Rockers taking on the Orient Express. Um, this match makes it for me because, you know, I didn't order this pay-per-view as a kid. And when I ended up seeing this match later in later years from the Royal Rumble DVD box set, you know, maybe about 10 years ago or so before I, you know, you know, I traded it in, um, I was just amazed at the action nonstop and how into it the crowd was with the Rockers. And, you know, as a kid, I used to think to myself, like, why don't these guys be the tag team champions? They're such they're such good wrestlers. They, they're, they're a good team. They've beaten a lot of tag teams. The crowd's into them. Why aren't they the tag team champions? And watching this back, I still feel like, I was robbed as a fan not seeing the Rockers as the tag team Having champions. The tag team champions. Yeah, so. and th th this match between them, like and the Orient Express, they didn't have a whole lot going on on TV. It was one of those matches that was just kind of like thrown together. And you know, in today's world, if you threw a match together unadvertised and with no build up on pay per view, you'd be the fucking Antichrist. But back then in <clears> 1991, <throat> nobody gave a shit about that because there was no such thing as called internet. Right. <laughs> okay. But going back watching this match, it was just action nonstop, and the Rockers just had the advantage, like the majority of the match, and really got had their way with the Orient Express. I, and there was it, it gave it enough time. I just thought it was a great way to open up the pay per view and really set the tone for that show. And I think there was a lot going into that show um, with the, the Sergeant Slaughter angle and the Royal Rumble match, and you know all, all that was going on um, at the time in WWF, that, that match really helped kick things off for the pay-per-view, and that's why it makes my my Mount Rushmore of great under, the, the best undercard matches in Royal Rumble history. Just the, the, the sheer action, and you know, it was non-stop bell-to-bell. It was just very fun to watch. Oh, yeah. I mean, these guys competed at Royal Rumble, I mean, WrestleMania as well, and they have a, they have a match on the UK Rampage 1991. Yeah. Um, the, so, I mean, every every match that they've had together is classic, but this one really does stand out. Yeah, and it also too, it's it it may may sound silly to say, but the the if you go back and you look at the the, the Rockers ring attire, because I was a big fan of their ring attire, the flashy colors. Um, <clears throat> I, I I dug the, the the ring attire that these guys had um, uh, in this particular match. It just really stood out and it just popped for me. But um, yeah, the, it, oh, I, I love this match. I, I, if there's one match that I could recommend you guys going back and watching because it's it doesn't get I don't think it gets the love that it deserves by wrestling fans. It's this match here, Rockers Orient Express from the Royal Rumble 1991. It is, it is uh, seriously underrated. Seriously underrated. Uh, I saw that, and I think that's probably one of my honorable mentions for, for mine. Um, very nice, very yeah. nice. All right, give, give, give us your number two. Okay, well, it was one of your other honorable mentions. It was, It's Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit from the 2003 Royal Rumble. Um, just a technical classic. Uh, I could watch that match all the time. Um, I remember when I first got the network, I think that's one of the first things I kind of sought out to like, you know, picking, you know, when you like pick a match kind of, yeah, yeah I, I was like, yeah, I, that is one of the first that I sought out. It's Kurt Angle defeating Chris Benoit by submission in uh, like 20 minutes. It's just a classic, man, a mat classic. I can't, I can't, you have to watch it. Um, just it's fluid. Um, everything is has a purpose in the match. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Angle is, is prime at this time. So is Chris Benoit. Um, man. Yeah. I can't say too much about it, but this is, this goes up there because, uh, I, I'm a, I love technical matches like this. Yes. Um, and this is, this is definitely five, seven stars. 57 stars. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. I like this match too. Like I said, honor, it was an honorable mention for me. Uh, regardless of what people think of, you know, Chris Benoit as a human being, you can't deny yeah. his body of work. Um, you know, I, I, I like this match a lot. Uh, you know, I remember when I ordered this pay-per-view, you know, I was really excited for this match itself because I knew it was going to steal the show. It tore the house down. It stole the show. Um, 
you know, Angle at the time was in a hot rivalry with Benoit. He had Paul Heyman as kind of like his manager or his agent, if you will. He had Team Angle backing him up. Kurt Angle was obviously on a collision course with Brock Lesnar. That's what they were kind of leading to with that WrestleMania. And, you know, in, in the same fashion that Rock needed to get built up for Austin, Angle needed to really be built up to, to face Brock at that WrestleMania that year. And Benoit was the perfect choice. Um, oh, yeah. You know, even even afterwards, they, they, they took... They recognized Benoit after the match. They came back from you know a break, and he was still in the ring. And the, the crowd in Boston gave him a standing ovation. Um, yeah, and to you me, couldn't I, deny his work rate at the time. Yeah, you you just couldn't. He was he was on fire every every chance you, you know every chance you could get. He was on fire um, with with his with his matches, especially with Kurt Angle. Um, you know, I, I if you go back and look at the history of their matches before this particular Royal Rumble match. Uh, they had a great classic at um, Unforgiven in 2002 uh, mm-hmm. where these guys freaking tore it up. And then the stuff they did as a tag team with the tag yep. team championships on SmackDown in the early days of the brand extension. Um, so they had you know a, a good amount of history with each other. And Benoit was chasing the belt. And you know I was just happy to see that Benoit was in this role as the challenger. You know, granted, yes, would it have been cool that he won the belt? Absolutely, at that time. But you know, and he was the, yeah. he was the internet darling for a long time. But um, you know, I think this was one of the one of the the, the key matches in WWE you know management's eyes that kind of woken them up to the, the and. Maybe giving them the idea that you know this guy could be a top guy and and eventually have a run with the belt. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and and, and I mean, the, the stuff of Kurt Angle, especially in this match, it's their best match to date. You know. Oh, absolutely. There's far. so many counters here. Like the, the crossface gets countered into a uh, ankle lock modified, and that's how ben, um, that's how Angle wins. Then yeah. we get that like super Angle slam. Yeah. From you know, I mean, it's just it's great. And here's the best part about that too is that there was no screw job finish. There wasn't a, like a like a like a fucked up finish where like you had to do something to protect Benoit. Angle was the better wrestler that night as the champion. And so mm-hmm. and but Benoit still got over. Like if there was any doubt that he wasn't over, he got over in that defeat to Kurt Angle. And and you saw that with that standing ovation he got from the audience. Yep. I mean, and then they had Benoit and Lesnar kind of team up the next month to go against Team Angle going towards that uh, WrestleMania match. Yes, that's right. The handicap match at at the the No Way Out pay-per-view. Yeah. 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 So um, that that is on my Mount Rushmore. Number two for Kobe. Number two for me um, is a sentimental favorite for me because... You know, my birthday falls in January, and when I was a kid, my parents used to, you know, my, my parents, they they didn't let me order every pay-per-view, okay? They weren't, you know, my we weren't, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money, and pay-per-views, you know, back then were, you know, pretty pricey, um, and so they didn't let me order all, all the pay-per-views. If it was a it was a special occasion like a WrestleMania, um, or like if there was a big match I really needed to see, like at a SummerSlam or a Starcade or whatever, they would let me order. Um, but for my birthday, it was usually guaranteed that I could order the Royal Rumble, and so mm. we would have a, a Royal Rumble like birthday party with my friends from school. And not many of them were big wrestling fans. Some of them watched it, but. For the most part, they were casual. They dipped in and out. But the basis of my birthday party was you come over, we have pizza, we have cake, and we watch the Royal Rumble. And this particular Royal Rumble undercard match took place in 1993, and it was an afternoon pay-per-view. So this pay-per-view started at like 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So um, it was like a guy's day. And so my mother took my three younger brothers out to their cousin's house, and it was just me and the guys and my dad kind of supervising the pay-per-view and supervising us watching. And this match here, um, like I said, is a sentimental favorite because it was from a birthday party, but also because this was a very good match Um you know, overall, and the story going into it, I thought was pretty solid, uh, and that's Bret Hart and Razor Ramon from 1993 for the WWF Championship. 
this was the, uh, the story going in. Razor was just kind of like bullying Brett, and you know he beat up his brother Owen, and Razor was just on a roll. Um, he had he had aligned with Ric Flair coming into the WWF, and you know took out Randy Savage. He helped Ric Flair win the title. Then Flair would eventually lose it to Brett, and then Razor would kind of set his sights after the championship. And um, I just thought this was a very very good technical wrestling match. This was like. And this was Brett's first, pay, or you know, his second pay-per-view title defense um, after after winning the title in the fall of '92 over Ric Flair. He wrestled Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series, and then he had this match with Razor Ramon. And um, I always felt like after this match, because it was so good and I enjoyed it so much, that I always was I would I would always question why Razor Ramon never got another opportunity at the WWF Championship on pay-per-view. Um, I was just I was just puzzled by it because I thought this was a really really good match and I thought you know and like I said you know not only questioning that but also questioning why Razor Ramon didn't have like a solid role at WrestleMania here he wrestled Bob Backlund in three minutes on that pay per view you know he went from main like co main eventing the Royal Rumble for the WWF Championship to being in the middle of the card with Bob Backlund at WrestleMania like I was yeah. just I was just puzzled by that so. Um, this was a great match, and this was something that like I wanted to see again. Honestly, I wanted to see Brett and Razor again. Um, and even when Brett went to WCW, that was one of the matches I definitely wanted to see again was Brett and Scott Hall. And we didn't get we didn't get a chance to see that, as we all know about Brett's run in WCW. But this was a this was just a fantastic match, top to bottom. This Royal Rumble itself. The undercard is one of the stronger undercards. If you look back at that Royal Rumble pay-per-view, you had the Steiners pay-per-view debut against the Beverly Brothers, which was a which was a great opening match. You had Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty for the Intercontinental title. You had the WWF Championship match. You had Bam Bam Bigelow and Big Boss Man in a, like a Haas type match, and then you had the Royal Rumble match, which the winner for the first time ever would face the WWF Champion at WrestleMania. This is one of my favorite Royal Rumble events in and of itself. For the sentimental factor, as well as the fact that the undercard and the overall pay-per-view, I felt as a kid, was strong. Some people might look, not look at that today um, in hindsight, but that championship match uh, with Brett and Razor was just top-notch. I, I, I love the match, and it's one of the matches that when it's Royal Rumble season, I'll go back and watch it. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, one that I w- watched recently, actually. And that is my number three on my Mount Rushmore. Awesome. So uh, you kind of took the words out of my mouth no, i think go, there's go. not too much too much more to say about this i mean other than it it, it kind of hit me when you talked about the brett's uh, title defenses it, it, you know this first run with brett as the champion some of his best matches were against the click members yes uh diesel razor sean the kid um you know i mean i, I really i really think those matches stood out as br- some of brett's best work um i mean yes the undertaker matches eventually they they evolved into some good stuff but the work rate in this match is something like you it baffles me why didn't razor have a bigger role you know this is the match where i would be like this watch this this is the guy that needs to be challenging for the wwf title like perennially you know um so uh yeah i definitely uh that's number three on there and it's just a nice clean finish to the match too um and just a lot of storytelling throughout um yeah uh number three bret hart and razor ramon from wrestlemania 1993 royal rumble 1993 i, I mean i'm sorry royal yeah. rumble 1993 no, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah wrestlemania was that year yeah but no yeah it, like touched all points if there's another match, I suggest people go watch. This is another one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really enjoyed it from top to bottom. Like you said, the Click members too. Like you know, Brett's first run with the title had some great matches with those guys, um, and this match with Razor w- was no different. I'm, I've always been curious, you know, with the exception of maybe the, the excuse that you know Scott Hall wasn't the most reliable because of his personal issues and his quote unquote demons. I've always wondered why. He never really moved past Intercontinental Championship status um, mm-hmm. because I felt like he delivered, you know, in this role as the challenger uh, for for Bret Hart in the WWF Championship. But uh, my number three comes in from the year two thousand, and that is 
with Cactus Jack and Triple H for the WWF Championship in a street fight in Madison Square Garden. Um, I love this match because you you brought it up earlier when you were talking about the I Quit match with Mankind. I was a Cactus Jack guy. I've said this on, on your podcast. I've said this on my podcast. I, I was Cactus Jack all the way. I didn't really care for Mankind. I especially didn't care for Mankind when he had the sock and he wore the, like, the shirt and tie. And I, I just was not a fan whatsoever. He was kind of like, he went from being like Hannibal Lecter to like one of the Muppets. And it, it, it just didn't appeal to me. So when he brought back the Cactus Jack persona in this rivalry with Triple H, uh, I was I was very happy. Uh and also, too, the buildup for this story itself, I think, is, is something to be mentioned as well. Because Cactus, you know, and Triple H, um, this is when Triple H was in the early stages of the McMahon family storyline with uh, Stephanie McMahon, as well as um, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the fact that Austin was not on television. Steve Austin was not a part of WWF programming. He was out with an injury. And so this was kind of like a true test to see, like, who's going to carry the ball for the company. And Hunter and, and, and Cactus were those guys, as well as The Rock, too. But this rivalry really kind of made WWF TV must-see TV with, you know, the tormenting. And they fired Mankind, but they brought back Cactus Jack. And, you know, the the, the violence in and of itself in the match, they kind of recreated the, the I Quit spot with the chair handcuffed behind the back, um, the thumbtacks, the blood, the barbed wire bat. This match, this match and this rivalry made Triple H. It made him into a into a, a a player, the top guy, and the guy that could carry the ball. And it was, you know, the first time in recent years that a heel became the top guy and really would carry the company. Um, and and this this rivalry did that for him. So this makes my number three in the Mount Rushmore here: Cactus Jack, Triple H, Royal Rumble Street Fight uh, for the WWF Championship from the year two thousand. Now I'm not sure if you got the text that I just sent you, but that that that's my list. Um, I think we 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 went to the same school of wrestling, and we might have copied off of each other's homework. Because my <laughs> number four is Triple H and Cactus Jack. Wow. Okay. From All right. uh, WrestleMania 2000. Okay. I mean, from Royal Rumble 2000. I'm sorry, I got Mania on the brain. Um, yeah, man. This met like you said. This is the one where it solidified Triple H as the top heel guy. And for a long time, we had The Rock, you know, and Austin battling for the, the face of the championship. But they were heels scattered in between. But that, you know, the title was a, was flip-flopping from person to person to person to person. This is where everything kind of slowed down again, you know? Yeah. yeah um, they, and, they went more long-term with the championship. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you know this, but... Uh, I. I was a huge Triple H guy. Same, definitely um, went to the same school of wrestling. But continue. Yeah, I think I think the heel turn when he turned corporate and started wearing the longer pants with the two tone colors um, uh, that were like more leather based, and he had that you know the he would come out with his director's hat and uh, you know started spewing the water. He just he built the foundation of this character and I watched it grow before my eyes and I was always like, I, I like me some Triple H. Um and this is his best year. Um his coming oh, out party. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I would I would say people say that this is the year where he where he broke out. To me, I still think this is his best year in wrestling, his quality and body of work. Yep. Yep, and the feud with with Austin. You know, you you wouldn't think that if you talk about it before Triple H turned heel and before he turned into this person. If you were to say that in like 1998 or 97, you'd be like, the hottest angle of 2000 2001 is going to be Triple H and Austin. Uh, I mean, some people would be like Triple H, um, but dude, he, he he killed it, and this match definitely. Um, just all balls to the wall, a brutal battle. And like I said I, before, I wasn't a Mankind fan, but he, he won me over with that match with The Rock. But this Cactus Jack match, this I was all about at the time. I remember watching this one live and uh, being on the edge of my seat. I remember the the puncture wound that Triple H gets in his leg. Uh, from yes, the, uh, the wooden pallet. From the wooden pallet, yeah. yeah. And you see the blood 
come yeah. out of there, and he continues to wrestle this whole match. Um, and, you know, that's got to be painful. I mean, Triple H is a guy that has sliced his back open and fell on horse shit, at, or, you know, pig shit, and then got a fucking puncture wound in his leg during a match, and then tears his quad. I mean, whew, talk about injuries during matches. Oh, Triple yeah. H is up there. But uh, he proved himself with this match, and I, I would suggest that people go back and watch this. Yeah. Because the intensity is there the entire time. And uh, you, keep, you keep wanting to root for Cactus more and more. And uh, these guys had a hell of a rivalry um, in this year. You know what's funny, too, is that you know I ordered this show on pay-per-view with my friends. And it was, I believe it was either the weekend of that Royal Rumble or maybe the weekend after that Royal Rumble, where tickets went on sale for the No Way Out pay-per-view the next month, which took place in my hometown of Hartford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And I remember after watching this match, I had said to myself, well, they're definitely going to have a rematch, and it's definitely going to be at No Way Out, and it's probably going to be some sort of stipulation, like a no DQ, something to that effect where, you know, there's no rules, and they kind of have, you know, the, the, you know, the added gimmicks, and when they, when they announced... You know, the hell in the cell, I was like, holy shit, like, how are they going to top the street fight? And then now it's hell in the cell and it's Cactus Jack. And the last time Foley was in a hell in the cell was with Undertaker a couple of years prior. I'm like, oh my God, I have to go see this match. I have to right. go see this show. And like I said, the, the rivalry was the rivalry was awesome. I did not like the way that they... They they had Foley retire only to bring him back six weeks later for WrestleMania, and then they dramatically and then they like take him out in the middle of the match. And like, by the way, this is one of the worst Wrestle uh, Royal Rumbles. I, I didn't like this finish at all. It was clear that The Rock hit first. Uh, it was it was oh, a redo of '94. Oh okay. Um, yeah. Yeah 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 with Big Show yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if that. Yeah, I don't know if that was meant to be. If it was meant for him to hit his feet and they do this, or if the, it happened and they had to turn something, you know, they had to turn something into it. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. the The rumble match itself was not bad, but the finish wasn't the greatest either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but that match stands out, man. That is my number four: Triple H and Cactus Jack. Also, look at that undercard. Okay. That match stole the show, but you also had Taz's debut against Kurt Angle, okay? New York City, Taz coming from ECW, which has a deep roots in the New York metropolitan area, makes his debut in Madison Square Garden against an undefeated Kurt Angle who was on the rise in WWF. He was one of the, the flagships for someone who'd only been in the business for a year, not even, Okay. Then you had the Hardys and the Dudleys in a tables match, the first ever tag team tables match, which was a barn burner. Okay. Um, the, the granted the Intercontinental Championship wasn't really that great with Jericho, China, and Hardcore Holly, but then you had the the APA and the New Age Outlaws, the title match, the Rumble. That Rumble itself was one of the more memorable Rumble events in history because of everything that happened on that show. But once again, going to the undercard, that undercard was pretty strong. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. that that undercard really kind of held, you know, held that show together, even if the rumble finish was kind of eh. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I agree. And one and my fourth and final match on this Royal Rumble undercard, uh, Mount Rushmore here on kicking out at two is now the fourth one. This was difficult, okay, because there's been some there's been some good matches on the Rumble undercard in in the more recent years. But one that really stood out for me that I felt like, like God damn, this was frickin', this was badass, was Brock Lesnar defending the championship in 2015 against John Cena and Seth Rollins in Philadelphia, uh, you know, triple threat match for the WWE title. Yeah, um, that, that made my list as uh, as runner up or as like know, an honorable mention. mention. Yes. Yeah, yes. this made my list because this was. I don't know, it was just action wall-to-wall. Like, when it was first announced that it was going to be Cena and Brock, I was like, "Uh, okay, like, I'm not totally for it, but I'm not totally against it either. Then when they threw Rollins in the mix, I was like, okay, like, I get why they're doing it. 
It's probably there to protect Cena so that Rollins can eat the pin. But Rollins stole the show in that match. I mean, the the, the dive off the top rope to Brock through the announcer's table, the stuff he was doing with Cena when Brock was throwing around um, uh, Rollins' uh, security, J&J, and then eventually the finish comes when Rollins tries to do that 450. He nails it on Cena, and Brock comes out of nowhere from the ashes and German suplexes the shit out of Rollins. So good. And then eventually an F5 to win the match. Holy cow. I was like, that was... Now, I wasn't totally sold on Seth Rollins. I'll be perfectly honest with you. When they broke up the shield and they made Rollins the guy, I was not sold on him. I really wasn't in the beginning. When they gave him the money in the bank, I really wasn't sold on him. And then this match made me sold on him. This match did it for me here. Like, he... he, you know, he, he showed that he could hang. Not saying that he wasn't a talented performer before, but this match really showed that he can hang with John Cena and Brock Lesnar in the main event scene. He had the money in the bank briefcase at the time, so there was that intrigue going into the match too. Like, oh, well, if I don't win the match, I could still cash in my money in the bank. You know what I mean? So it added that extra element of unpredictability into the match that it didn't have in the first place. And it just it, it just solidified for me as you know Rollins being a top notch player. Like I said, he like, I mean uh, it was another case of where you know the announcers put him over on commentary as like you know for his unbelievable effort. The audience in Philadelphia, which has always been a very smart mark crowd, they they gave him a standing ovation, and he was one of the heels. You know, mm-hmm. they gave him a standing ovation when he walked out of there, um, and the announcers put him over on commentary huge as he was walking up the ramp. So, um, you know, for me, this match was probably one of the better title matches in Royal Rumble and better undercard matches in, in, in recent history in the uh, the, the, the Royal Rumble uh, event. And that is my Mount Rushmore of Royal Rumble undercard matches. Um, quickly. Well, not quickly because we got a little bit of time. We can we can kill some time a little bit here. Tell me some of the matches that didn't make your Rumble uh, Mount Rushmore. Some that you know you, you were close to. You mentioned this match. You mentioned um, uh, uh, I think you had another match on there, right? You, you, you... Uh, no. Um, but uh, but I some of your um, runner ups were kind of my Mount Rushmore gotcha. um, more yep. or less but yeah I've, going through the catalog again and the match list and the history I, I was like man there's a lot of good matches it was kind of hard to choose from so I went chronologically and you know kind of tacked down the ones that I liked and as you see they were basically the the WWF championship matches yeah you know? um, I had um Taker and Yokozuna from 1994. Okay, and that almost made a, mine too. And that was a, that was different for a casket match, you know, um, for you know presenting that. Uh, then I had Brett and Diesel from 1995. Even okay. though it ended in a DQ, that was a steady match. Like we said, uh, you know, Brett had some good matches with the Click members, so that was good. Here's one that was different because it was after the Royal Rumble or. Was it after? It's Michaels and Taker, the casket match? That was at the Royal Rumble. Well, yeah, it was the main event of that Rumble pay-per-view, which is it, it took place after the Royal Rumble match. Yeah, so I didn't know if that qualified at all, and plus it wasn't, it, it, you know, it's, it's it didn't make my list, but it, it, it's a standout match. It for is. For sure. It definitely is. I mean, the visual of, you know, at the end, Kane setting the casket on fire um, after, you know, him helping Shawn Michaels win and, and retain the, the championship. That's also the same match where Michaels suffered that career-ending back injury. Mm-hmm. And he, like, grazes it. You can see it's, like, it's just right on the tailbone, just, yeah. like, hits that that part. And, man, yeah. But I, I can assume the velocity is what uh, what caused the injury. Um, the next one is Jericho and Benoit from 2001. Okay, that almost made my list too. That was I had a lot. I had a lot that almost made my list, but keep keep going. Good, good technical bout, just a good technical bout. Um, and Jericho and Benoit have a lot of classic matches. Uh, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, if you go through the history of the the guys' matches, uh, I don't think not one of them is bad. You know? Yeah. Um, the next one is from two thousand four, Triple H and Shawn Michaels in a Last Man Standing match. Okay. Um, it was very different. Uh, especially these guys had a good feud that had, they had built uh, years prior, and then they returned to it for you know uh, more respect in this uh, angle, and then uh, eventually putting over 
Chris Benoit at the WrestleMania coming up, you know? Yeah. Um, then 2009, Edge and Jeff Hardy. Um, that, that was a quick pace match. And just two guys that I always like to see, they were the standouts in the tag teams. And I always wanted them to like branch off and become single stars and have that feud. And then I finally got it in 2009. Um, it was some, it was some cool stuff, uh, to see that, you know, it was kind of like watching Sean and Brett again, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, uh, definitely. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. So Brock, Cena, Rollins, 15. You, yep. you mentioned that. Um, then Cena and AJ Styles from 2017 and Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles from 2019. Um, uh, AJ Styles is a consummate standout for me. And um, I just, anything he does in the ring, especially being held back in WWF, I feel, or WWE rather, he, he's, he stood out, you know? Um, I think he can perform and do way more than he's allowed to, um, but for what he does in the ring for those big matches against Cena and Brian, uh, those two matches are, are great. I, I suggest if you, if anything I put on my list, go back and watch, but definitely the Cena and styles match from 2017. Cause Cena presented himself, you know, more aggressive in that, in that role. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it was a great match. And then Brian and styles, those are two classic technicians of our, our generation. Yeah. Yeah, all, all great choices that could have made the, the Mount Rushmore. I got a few that, that also didn't make my Mount Rushmore. Um, from 1993, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Uh, uh, yep. The Intercontinental title didn't make it. Um, it's not their best match, but it was still a pretty fun match. Uh, I remember fondly as a kid enjoying watching the match, and even to this day when I've gone back and watched that Rumble event, um, I definitely enjoy that match as well. Um the Taker Yokozuna casket match was definitely almost on my list just for the just the way the casket match was presented. Um, the uh, what should call it? The Benoit and, and Jericho, like you mentioned, the latter match was really good stuff. Almost made my list. Um, the uh, John Cena Umaga last man standing match from the two thousand and seven Royal Rumble match. Almost made my Mount Rushmore. Uh, very physical, brutal match. Um, Umaga was on a hot streak then. He had already lost to Cena earlier in the month at the New Year's Revolution pay-per-view. And uh, he um, he had a rematch in a last-man-standing match. And you kind of saw uh, Cena, a, a more aggressive side uh, of him um, in this match, which was uh, definitely a lot of fun. Um a match that almost made my list. It's not the greatest match, but it was just it was a fun little match. It would have been a good TV main event, okay? But they put it on the Royal Rumble pay-per-view and that was Edge versus Rey Mysterio from 2008 for the World Heavyweight that, Championship. I was thinking about that one too. I enjoy that match. That's a fun match. That would have been like a barn burner on a SmackDown, but you know, I think it doesn't get enough credit and it gets lost in the shuffle because that 2008 Royal Rumble event from top to bottom is just a fantastic show. Oh and god. I, I, I think it, it's one of the shows that uh, one of the better Royal Rumble events in and of itself. If we do a Mount Rushmore of Royal Rumble events or Royal Rumble matches, um, I'm sure that 2008 would definitely be you know mentioned. Um, and yeah, the, uh, the 2011 Dolph Ziggler and Edge from Boston for the World okay. Heavyweight Championship. I was at that show. I was really excited for that match. They tore it up and they did not disappoint. It, it was everything I expected and then some. Um, so uh, those are some of the matches that almost made my Mount Rushmore for Royal Rumble undercard matches. Um, hey, Very man. Very cool. This was you know, a lot of know, fun. I was, you know, I was thinking, sorry. You know, I was thinking is when you're when we're going through the ebbs and flows of these matches that are the title matches it, it kind of seems that they started them off as uh you know they wanted straight one-on-one matches but then it turned into the gimmick match yes you know yeah um there was either a casket involved a ladder involved um but deep you know i quit no dq uh triple threat there was always something in the way and the the, the few kind of standout ones are, are the straight up you know matches that are like I said at the beginning, could sometimes be predictable. So I think that's why they added that gimmick in there. Uh, just made me think about that going down the list. You know what's interesting, too, is that, um, you know, obviously we're still in the, the stages of the pandemic and the vaccine has been, you know, distributed and, um, and to 
to to a lot of Americans at at the time of this recording. But um, the uh, what's what are you talking be... about? The the pandemic's over. We had a great New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know, right? Yeah. Kayfabe. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, no, but it's interesting as to how they're going to present the Royal Rumble event in and of itself this year. It's it's. It's probably going to be at the Thunderdome in, in Tropicana Field, but um, I would imagine we might get some form of a cinematic match. And the Royal Rumble match itself, I'm kind of curious how that's going to be produced because, you know, you have a ring full of guys. You know, it could sometimes get to like 12, 13, 14 guys in the match, and that's not exactly social distancing protocols here. So I'm curious as to how this Royal Rumble match is going to be produced. Um and, and the undercard matches as well. We might see, like you said, a gimmick or some kind of cinematic match to, to add a little bit more drama and flavor to the Royal Rumble event because there won't be a live audience um, in-house watching the pay-per-view. Here's another thought. This will be the first Royal Rumble without Pat Patterson being involved in any in any way. That's right, too. Yeah, that's another thing. And I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm maybe by the time this recording drops that they'll make some sort of announcement, but it wouldn't surprise me if they um, introduce like a trophy to the winner mm. of the Royal Rumble match itself with... with it's uh, got the, it's a little hand on a, a, a boy's penis. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, oh, man. The banana. It's just a banana. Yeah. Vince, oh, my God. He's going to go banana. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, boy. The, they'll get the golden banana. The golden, the golden banana. Vince <laughs> is like, you know what that is, pal. Yeah. I, I think on that note, we're going to have to wrap things up here. But, no, this has, been, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, you know, yeah, I had, a, I had a great time. Yeah, your, your list is, is, is quite the list. And we were kind of on the same, like you said, went to the same wrestling school of thought. Probably copied off each other a few times, I'm sure. Um, but thank you very much for taking the opportunity. Opportunity to, to come here um, and uh, assist me with this Royal Rumble undercard on kicking out at two here. Thanks, man. I had a lot of fun. And thank you all for tuning in as well, hitting that download button, pressing play, and joining me. Next week, we're going to trade places with the 1996 Royal Rumble event. 1996, a pivotal year in the WWF, as we saw a lot of departures and a lot of arrivals, as well as the birth and incarnation of what would be the New World Order in WCW. So what would happen if we traded places with some of the finishes of the matches, like in particular the Intercontinental Championship match between Razor Ramon and Goldust? Does Razor Ramon come out the victor? Would he leave for WCW if he still had defeated Goldust and retained his Intercontinental Championship? And what if Diesel won the Royal Rumble instead of Shawn Michaels that year? Would Diesel go on to be the WWF Champion and stay with the World Wrestling Federation? Or would he be headed to WCW to form the New World Order with Scott Hall and Hulk Hogan? You're going to find that out next week here on Kicking Out at Two. And with that being said, I think it's about that time that we officially put this show down for the three count. And see you all next week.